Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the NHS to talk about topics that matter as well as challenges that they are facing today. I'm Louie and I am today's host. Today I'm joined by Grace, Faye, Lee and Jenny to discuss pathways into the NHS. The views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official positions or policy of their organisations. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's get on the way and do introductions around the room. Faye, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Louie. Hi, everyone. My name's Faye Sefton, and I currently work for NHS Cheshire and Merseyside's digital programme, where I lead on communications and engagement, and also manage the robotic process automation project, although I'll soon be joining NHS Cheshire and Merseyside's radiology and imaging network as a programme manager looking after work like the PAX Cloud project. Great, thanks Faye. Uh, and next Lee. Hi everyone, uh, Lee Gutcher. Um, I'm a programme manager for North Central London ICB. Um, I've worked in the NHS for about 15 years, mainly in operational management in acute hospital settings. Uh, but my current role is a programme manager, as I say, for North Central London ICS. Uh, this role focuses on collaborative programmes uh, which span across multiple trusts um, across North Central London, uh, bringing trust closer together to work collaboratively with one another to improve efficiency, resource and ultimately to reduce costs. Thanks Lee. Um, we'll go on to Jenny. Hi everyone, I'm Jenny Mason. I am the a Digital Project Manager and Digital Inclusion Lead for Cheshire and Merseyside ICB um, and I've worked for the NHS for about three and a half years now. Great, thank you Jenny. Uh, and Grace next, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Grace Heggs. I am a senior project manager um, at North East London ICB. Um, I'm currently working on setting up a new community diagnostic centre um, at Myland Hospital, um, and I'm also working on a paediatrics or geology um, projects. Um, yeah, that's me. Brilliant. Thanks, Grace. Uh, so now that we've established a context for you, to you uh, let's move on to today's topic, which is pathways into the NHS. We're going to start off today by learning all of your roots into your current role. So let's get started with Lee. Do you want to start first? Tell us how you got to your current role. Wow. Hi. I mentioned there that it's been 15 years. So how long have you got, Louis? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not 15 I'll years. <laughs> um, I'll try and give a, a whistle stop tour. So um, just going back to 2008, um, I joined uh, the outpatient appointment centre uh, via an agency, actually, uh, at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Um, it was band two, band three, uh, booking appointments. Um, and I was doing it because I was actually enrolling uh, to do an evening course at a, at a college and, uh, on counselling. Um, so this was kind of just work um, on the side. But then as I was starting to do some of this work, I moved up to a team leader role, then a supervisor role. And then I was thinking, oh, crikey, I'm, I'm actually quite good at doing some of this stuff. So um, did this for a couple of years. Uh, then the, the the Royal Free, the Trust, put me on a management and leadership foundation degree course at Middlesex University. Uh, and then I moved into operational management. Um, and then there was over the, the kind of the, the 10 following years, there was a theme that started to appear that about every two years I would move up uh, to, to the next band. So I moved from service manager to assistant operations manager and then to a operations manager. And then the same trust, uh, the Royal Free, um, then put me through my uh, MBA course with the Open Universities. It was uh, Open University. Uh, it was a senior leaders and leadership and practice. And I, I completed that in 2021. 
um, obviously 2021, right in the midst of the the pandemic, there was a um, a role which opened up within within the um, the ICS. I don't know if it was an ICS at the time, but North Central London, uh, which was um, an operational lead for creating a temporary consolidation of paediatric services across um, North London, um, effectively to move all the paediatric uh, patients on, into one hospital to create capacity for um, uh, for adult wards. Um, at another two trusts, uh, therefore it would help us better manage the uh, the COVID surge. Um, and then that took me into the world of um, working in North Central London and working in ICS and working collaboratively. And then that's how I moved into this program management role now, which is very different to what I've done previously, but um, really enjoying the strategic and collaborative uh, parts of the role, which is great. Brilliant. Thanks, Lee. And that's a really interesting route um, coming from kind of a lower band all the way right through and um, kind of experienced all of them situations within the NHS. I'm sure there's still more to come. Um, but thanks for that. And move on to Jenny. Yeah, so I have a little bit of a, an interesting route into the NHS. I kind of ended up here, um, which is a really good thing. Um, so I started my career at 19 as a support worker in health and social care, uh, looking after people who um, were classed as having profound and multiple learning disabilities. So full complex needs, needs of full support needs. And um, and I kind of found I was really good at it. Um, I'd support people to go to places like uh, meetings and, and people would say, well, the person that you're supporting can't speak, what's you getting out of it? And my thing was always just because the, the lady that I'm supporting doesn't speak it doesn't mean she's got nothing to say um, and I was always pride myself on providing the best support for that person that I was with then I got a senior support worker role did that for a couple of years and then I decided to do a foundation degree in inclusion and found myself after that in learning and development so I then did a teaching qualification so qualified in as a post-compulsory education teacher and did that for about 10 years and then all of a sudden I was made redundant and it was like wow I was quite comfortable in health and social care I worked in a charity setting what on earth do I do now um and I was I thought I I would you know finish working there so 17 years and I suddenly found myself without a job um so I ended up doing five different jobs all in one year all at the same time ranging from I set up a baking business I did some mental health 24-hour support work shifts. I taught Zumba as well. And uh, what else to do? Learning development consultancy. And when I wasn't busy, I'd put my steel toe cap boots on and I worked on a building site as a labourer. And now during this time, one of my very good friends who works for the NHS said, do you know there's a job going with somebody I know who knows someone who knows somebody? So I applied and ended up as a coordinator in the healthcare partnership as it was for Cheshire and Merseyside and the digital programs team, kind of taking minutes, sending out agendas, taking notes, thinking, okay, this is fine. This is good. Nine to five, Monday to Friday. I know where I am. And then I got a taste of, oh, actually, this is quite interesting. What's going on here? And then COVID hit. So I started in 2000, in January 2000, and in April 2000, we were given our laptops and told to go and work from home. And at that point, we had a couple of programmes going on, and it was um, Digital First Primary Care, funded by NHS England. And lots of these, my job was to collate all these projects that were coming in for bids and give them to the managers that made the decisions. And at that point, we said there's lots of bits of digital inclusion happening. Do we know what's happening on a, on a system level? And at that point, I put my hand up and said, my my degree is in inclusion. 
and I've worked with some of the most excluded people in society, let alone digital. Is this something I can help with? And it was kind of, yes, Jenny, go and do digital digital inclusion. So I, I am doing digital inclusion. Um, so a bit of a, a random, I ended up here, but actually best thing that ever happened to me. Great. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, very different to Lee's, but amazing in its own self and got you to where you where you are now. So very impressive. So yeah, over to you, Faye. Um, please tell us how you got to your current role. So I've always been really creative and I actually originally wanted to become a, either a graphics or a games designer. So I went to college where I studied for a BTEC National Diploma in Art and Design before I applied to go to the University of Chester. Originally starting a degree in advertising and graphic design before altering it to a full advertising degree after finding that I enjoyed undertaking the design, planning and execution of a complete integrated marketing and communication strategy more than the technical knowledge and context and theory of graphic design. And it was after I graduated in 2013 that I started my career in the private sector initially but I always knew that I wanted to utilise my skills to make a positive difference to others. And that led me to embark on my career in the NHS three years later. So my first role was for a mental health trust, where I was asked to lead on the design and implementation of three brand new websites in the space of 10 months. So the first was actually aimed at sharing innovation and best practice to help staff and other organisations to improve the quality of their services. Um, and the second was to help a local talking therapy service to streamline its referral process. And the third was all about promoting free suicide prevention training, which was made accessible to, to everybody with the aim of, of improving support for those contemplating suicide. Following on from that role, I then worked at what was then known as a clinical commissioning group, which were responsible for planning and buying or commissioning the majority of local health services that residents within a certain footprint needed. And it was in that role, after recognising the impact that the website work in my previous role had had on staff, patients and members of the public, as well as just how much I'd enjoyed working on those projects, that I decided to self-fund my Prince2 Foundation and practitioner certifications outside of work. And they were really certifications that I believe helped me to get a promotion then as a digital communications manager at what was then known as the Cheshire and Merseyside Sustainability and Transformation Partnership, or SCP, which, which were, they were previously known as before they became ICSs. And it was in a role that was split between assisting the digital program team, who I now work for, and the imaging and pathology networks with their communications and engagement needs as well as the SCP with its strategic communications. However, four months after starting the role, the pandemic hit, which is a, a feature uh, in uh, everybody's career journeys today. Um, and like everybody else, my role drastically changed as my primary focus then became on supporting the pandemic response. And that, that work involved 
working with my team to develop a digital marketing campaign that addressed the main barriers that we'd identify through market research as being blockers to our ethnic minority communities coming forward to get the COVID-19 vaccination. And the campaign that we put together helped to promote the facts and supported a remarkable increase of 5,711% in vaccine uptake within a three-month period. And it led to that campaign winning the HSJ NHS Communications Initiative of the Year Award in 2021. So then after, after that, and moving forward, I, I joined NHS Cheshire and Merseyside digital programme team in July 2021 in a split role between communications and project management so since joining the team what what that role essentially has been is it's been juggling communications work such as developing an annual communications campaign called be cyber savvy which is was aimed at reducing cyber security data breaches that are often caused by human error through educating our health and care staff about the threats of cybercrime and the ways that their actions can help or hinder those types of attacks, alongside leading the robotic process automation or RPA project, as we like to refer to it as, because it's a lot simpler than its full name. But so that is actually, if you've never heard of it before, RPA is a software technology that uses digital workers or robots to perform and automate high volume, repetitive tasks using process flows to guide them in order to free up time for clinical and or non-clinical workforces. And I managed to secure 2.3 million in unified technology funding for digital productivity at the end of last year. And that was to support 10 of our trusts to implement RPA or to build on their automation capabilities. Great, thanks for that, Faye. And that's an, a very different, but so really interesting uh, way to to kind of get into your role. It's interesting that you've done a dual role as well, um, different to others, um, but exciting in, in its own way. Um, and last but not least, we'll go over to Grace. Um, do you want to tell us how you got to your role? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, like many of you, I didn't think I'd ever be uh, working for the NHS, having spent um, 10 years um, working um, in more sort of arts, charities and live events. Um, I, start, I studied um, an arts and event management degree at Bournemouth Arts Institute and then very quickly started working um, for um, charities and worked on... Um, for the Natural History Museum and the Royal Albert Hall, sort of programming um, the space um, and doing sort of arts and science events, did a very big project for uh, the Olympics, for the Cultural Olympiad um, on the celebration of sort of arts and science. Um, went on to work for the Prince's Trust after that as a program manager for their disadvantaged children program across the UK, where we had projects from the Shetland Islands down to Southampton. Um, and that job took me over to um, Thailand to work on an art therapy project for disadvantaged children over there. Um, I then spent a year um, working on different sorts of events and festivals um, around Australia um, and then over to the Middle East. And then the pandemic hit and um, uh, very quickly we were having to operationalize all across the UK to set up testing sites, you know, vaccination centres, that sort of thing. So local authorities started contracting um, events and production companies to very quickly mobilise these teams. And I, and I joined as a 
site manager and operations manager. And I was sort of like, oh, I think I kind of like this a little bit. And I had a friend who was running um, a COVID um, hot hub and sort of a COVID virtual ward in Soho Square, got involved with that and very quickly became um, yeah one of the operations managers there working for um, Central London GP Federation. Um, and Central London um, and Westminster has um, the biggest um, homeless population in the UK. So very quickly, I got involved in working with um, on the homeless health program in Central London. Um, and then I was asked to join um, the homeless health team in the Northwest London ICB, and I became the immunizations lead for the whole of Northwest London um, and homeless vaccination. So not only were we focusing on COVID, then we had monkeypox to deal with. We had we were trying to get tuberculosis levels down, working really closely with Find and Treat, which is um, a mobile sort of one-stop shop for in different inclusion groups. Um, and I also started leading on a pan-London um, safeguarding and self-neglect um, project, project for the homeless. Um, I changed over from northwest London to northeast London ICB um, in April this year and I've been working on lots of different projects um, with the diagnostics team and personalization um, and now on a new sort of audiology um, and community diagnostic projects. So my sort of flexibility as a project manager and that sort of ability to hit the ground running has really sort of helped I think what the fresh energy and that sort of flexibility that the NHS needs with my time sort of with North East London this is the sort of fifth project that I've been moved on to now um so yeah I really think having that experience of working on live events has really sort of been transferable to the NHS and um yeah my mum was a nurse for 20 years so I'm really proud to be with the NHS now and I think I'll stay with it for all <laughs> brilliant thanks Grace I, I think what you touched on there transferable skills is something we'll get into later which is really important um in nhs careers uh, thank you for that overview um so now let's go into further questions around the topic of pathways into the nhs um so a question for all of you really uh, who wants to start with uh have you had any role models or mentors that have really helped progress you in your nhs career yeah um so I will reflect back on the time when I was a operations manager um, in the HPB and liver transplant service and hepatology service at the Royal Free. Um, and there's a, a shout out for a, a number of colleagues here, but it was working in a, um, a directorate triumvirate, which was which was really great. And it was the colleagues who I worked really closely with was Professor um, Doug Thorburn, uh, Professor York Pollock and uh, Dr. Aileen Marshall. Um, and it, it was just really there enthusiasm and drive uh, to change and improve services it really made it a joy uh, to come to work um i learned a lot when we were working in that team or when i was working in that team um because we had some really challenging and ambitious projects uh, and business cases and we really supported each other to get them over the line um i would say that their leadership and also having uh, this triumvirate kind of demonstrated the importance of collaboration and uh, the importance of working together to achieve achieve the goals. And I think for me personally, uh, being part of that team really showcased the significance of my role as an operations manager, but also their role as clinical leaders. And, show, and it really showed that we relied on each other. Um, and it also demonstrated how I was adding value to that team. Um, and it's 
and then by doing some of these ambitious projects and business cases, it really challenged me to come up my comfort zone and also develop develop myself as an operations manager. So there weren't mentors per se, there were colleagues, there were team members, but I think it was really important to have uh, that those clinical leaders who were really driving things forward. And sometimes, and I'm sure the I'm sure they'll forgive me for saying this, but sometimes it really felt like we were going 100 miles an hour down a hill with no brakes on. But it was it was that kind of excitement every day that we were um, that 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 we were facing, um, and it was it was being in that environment that really kind of drew me as a leader as well, and as I say, brought me out of my comfort zone. Um, and yeah, happy to share some of the the detail of some of the business cases, but perhaps maybe we'll get onto that another time. Yeah, so I've got a couple of people that spring to mind. Um, uh, a colleague. Uh, who who is is also friends is, has a a clinical and digital role and it's her the way she uses digital is to enhance the patient experience and the clinician experience as well of de- delivering the care but receiving the care and that kind of is is everything I've always looked at about people getting the right the right support and the right care in the right way um, and again you're back to people with very complex disabilities you know giving them their own one-to-one support and, and finding out what makes them tick, how it how it works them and and making sure that, that that support is consistent. So there's that kind of there's there's a, a, a colleague that I think of who with a clinical role and you know patient focused and also using digital to support the patient focus. But also um and um Faye and I both work in the same team and Faye Faye knows this about me. I suffer terribly from imposter syndrome. And the kind of I've only been three years in the NHS. Who will listen to me? Um, and and every time anyone mentions this brand new shiny toy, you know that's going to help everyone. And it's all digital. And I go, but what about the people who can't use it? But what about our patients? But what about digital inclusion? Um, and and at first, I kind of thought, oh, I'm I'm not sure I'm the right person to be asking these questions. But then some very senior colleagues across the patch, our chief informatics officers across our trusts. Um, our chief clinical informatics officers who were kind of like Jenny what do you think and I go oh oh I I think oh yes that's me I, I, yes I have an opinion on this and, and people are listening um, and then um, a particular colleague of ours called Paul Charnley um, really kind of gave me a bit of a, a kick up the backside as well as the the kind of the nurturing my role within the within the NHS um, to say you know Jen this is this is what you do this is who you are um, and, and also another colleague, Kathy Fox, who said, yes, you, you are our subject matter expert in this area. Please, you know, take ownership of that that title and, and go for it. So it's kind of those people I would kind of credit a lot of my my um, as mentors and, and influencers within the NHS. Plus, a bit like Grace, my mum worked for the NHS. Um, so, yeah, that's that's another bit of a link there. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned imposter syndrome there. And it's, it's very refreshing to hear that kind of your seniors are encouraging you to speak out and, and giving you flexibility within your role. That's it. Yeah, really refreshing to see. And, and Faye, do you want to add to that? Yeah, so building on what Jen said, my mum's someone who's continually inspired me in my career journey. And I'm sure she will continue to moving forwards. Because she actually works in a paediatric setting where vital signs and observations are used every day by clinicians to assess a child's clinical status against one of five age-appropriate paediatric early warning score or PUSE charts. And those five PUSE charts are used as a guide 
to support the early identification of patients who could be at risk of clinical deterioration. But as as they use different I- scoring metrics, which also significantly depends on our child's age, it actually incre- creates an element of risk. And my mum recognised that risk and the potential for using electronic handheld devices instead of paper charts to record patients' vital signs like heart, your heart rate, blood pressure and temperature. And she led the first research study of its kind in the UK that was called the Dynamic Electronic Tracking and Escalation or DTEC study. And she's really inspired me with the work that she's done and through that study because it was all based around developing an early warning system for children that utilise digital devices to automatically load the correct age-specific PUSE risk model associated with the patient's date of birth. And then once the vital signs were recorded onto the, the device, the device automatically then categorise the risk of the patient developing serious illness into low, medium, high or critical. So the the health and care staff were using the device as as a way to, to be a bit of a safety net when they were trying to assess patients and to stop to stop them from deteriorating before they did um which would help to reduce deterioration in young children that could actually result in life-altering complications or the need for lifelong care that could impact on the patient's quality of life and it could also mean that they'd be utilizing nhs services more so than if they hadn't have gone through that critical deterioration that had impacted on their future health and care needs so I'm really inspired by my mum and how she's used her skills experience alongside digital technology to make a positive difference, not just for health and care staff who are using this equipment, but also for the young patients who have their whole lives ahead of them, who she's making a massive difference to as well. Yeah, and that's really nice to see closer to home, but how someone in a clinical setting um, is influencing the work that you're doing in the in the in the background, so to say. Um, yeah, really interesting. Thank you, Faye. Um, and over to you, Grace. Have you had any mentors or anyone that's been really influential? Yes. Um. So I've worked. Um. Yeah. One of the first nurses that I I came to work with on the COVID program. Um. Was a nurse, uh, Malcolm Coxedge, who had come out of retirement to help again with um, uh, the the pandemic. And and Malcolm um had been um sort of lead TB charge nurse for the whole of um, North north east london actually has changed the way the sort of um nurses lead the in the uk now and the guide the nice guidelines for how we treat tb patients i've actually nominated for an obe he's done so much work for us here behind the scenes that i think he needs to be celebrated but um, malcolm and i worked really closely together and he was we sort of changed the approach of how we sort of um worked with inclusion groups malcolm sort of um you know had absolutely no no barriers to vaccinating anyone or visiting any sort of mental health settings, working with rough sleepers, working with sex workers, and from his experience of working with TB patients and with Find and Treat. And um, yeah, Malcolm's been a great friend and mentor to me. Um, we can continue with that. Um, I've also worked really closely with um, a coach from the NHS Leadership Programme, which is completely free to all 
NHS workers that we can have our own coaches and mentors. Um, her name's Sarah Johnson. And yeah, she's really sort of helped me sort of carve how my sort of role as a project manager can move and my strengths and what, you know, what, um, how, what my strengths are and, and yeah, being able to sort of change across different projects and different areas of, um, yeah, of the NHS. So two great people there, but I'm also, you know, really, um, really proud to have worked with all the members of the homeless health team, um, Jared Kelly and Claire Wilson and Cameron Hill there. It's a very unique team um, dealing with a sort of very complex um, population in Westminster, which has recently had um, the Queen's funeral and the coronation to deal with and the sort of backup and contingency plans with dealing with the biggest homeless population um, while while having that going on as well is, is, is a complex matter. And I think a lot of people forget um, you know, when big things are going on like that, how it affects people who are essentially patients as well as, you know, residents in those areas as well. So, yeah, I think a, a diverse group of people, yeah, and different backgrounds, but um, definitely have some very unique and, um, you know, courageous people within the NHS which um, need to be celebrated. Brilliant. I think your answer, Grace, um, around the leadership team shows the other levels of support that you have within the NHS as a member of staff. Um, going from Jenny's example of senior leadership helping out, you've also got individuals within senior leadership teams that are willing to help you as an individual to grow and progress. So, yeah, that's great. Um, off, the back of, off the back of that question, uh, for potential employees, I think you've got you guys have pushed into this slightly in your last answers. But why should they work for the NHS? Why the NHS? Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a number of reasons, but I think. The two that are close to my heart, um, and I've kind of alluded to in um, my introduction and the last answer was, uh, I think the first one is like making a difference in job satisfaction. Um, I think just every day kind of coming into work, knowing that um, you are adding value and you make you are making a difference is really kind of what keeps me ticking on a day-to-day basis. Um, I mentioned a couple of the ambitious projects that we, that we had in my previous role as a liver transplant operations manager, but we went from some of the some of the business cases and projects um, that we implemented meant that we grew our liver transplant service from doing a hundred liver transplants a year to nearly 150 a year. And when you're in when you're in in the midst of it on a day on a day to day basis, you you kind of don't really think about it until you take a step back and go, wow, do you know if it wasn't for me and me writing that business case and implementing and operationalizing whatever whatever it was that we were doing um those extra 50 people wouldn't have had a liver transplant you know and mm-hmm. it's it's things like that when i think wow that's that's really making a difference and that's really one of the big things for me of why i work for the nhs and continue to work for the nhs um, and then i think the other thing was just uh, is that there is or certainly in my experience that there is a a culture of continuous learning and development as well um, so as I mentioned, the, the Royal Free Hospital put me through my foundation degree at Middlesex University and, and then obviously my MBA as well. So um, those are some of the couple of the reasons that are close to my heart why I would say working for the NHS is, is, is a great thing. Thanks, Lee. Uh, and what do you think, Faye? Yeah, so mine's very much similar to what Lee said. For me, the core reason why I work for the NHS is because it gives me the opportunity to use my skills and experience to make a positive difference both for our health and care staff and ultimately for the patients that we serve, which is incredibly rewarding, as as Lee said, with the examples he gave. Uh, especially, you know, when you do have examples like that where you you can you've 
stepped back or you've witnessed firsthand how your work has contributed to changing somebody's life for the better, which is something that I, I was also able to see directly when I led a project to redesign a, a local talking therapy services website to make it more accessible for the individuals that would benefit from the services it provided and um, especially groups such as as those who are homeless and um, who have a different route in to to those who have a a fixed address and for me personally i think there's also something really special and empowering about working for the integrated care system that i'm also a part of because I'm able to make a positive difference, not just for the local community that I live in, but also for my family and friends who are a part of it too. So yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love working for the NHS and I will continue to do so. Thanks, Faye. And over to you, Jenny. Yeah, I'm going to sound like I'm repeating again, but yeah, it's that whole making a difference. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that I didn't expect to be able to do as a as a project manager in the NHS you know you you know that the doctors and the nurses they those frontline heroes make those differences every day um so it's not something that you think about when you think about being in the digital working in an office but then I had an opportunity to work on a, you know a very small part of money was given to us to spend on digital inclusion and my creative brain went a little bit wild and why don't we just give some people some computers and see if it makes a difference and some of the feedback that we got, it, it was like real heartstrings pulling feedback. Like one lady said, it, it changed their life. We gave them, we gave the people um, secondhand um, keyboard, mouse, uh, a screen, and space unit. And something that you know some of us would not think twice about. It was you know reconditioned PC. And some people said it, it kept them alive. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and other people that like, as well as their health needs being met, because that was the main reason for it. There was one lady who said she did a prison visit online with her son who's in prison. And that kind of, wow, okay. So we're not only helping health, but actually it can have that knock-on effect in society. And um, people managing their diabetes, their mental health much better because they had a device to be able to do it on. Um, so yes, I think that's that's my my kind of main reason. I kind of fell into the digital inclusion bit, but if we take the digital part out of my title, I'm all about having health equity and people being able to. It doesn't matter how you manage your health or how you are are supported to manage your health. It should be on that kind of equal footing. So whether it is a digital pathway or whether it is a non digital pathway, it it shouldn't stop you from getting your health needs met just because you can't use a computer. So it's kind of that, you know, it, it's gone through all my careers in health and social care and, and now in this as well, which was a bit of a shock. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's their main, main things. Brilliant. And how about you, Grace? Um, yeah, just, just, to, just to echo what everyone else has said. And I think, you know, throughout my career, I've always, you know, wanted to work on projects that I could talk passionately and proudly about. And I, I think, I've, yeah, I've never been, you know, more proud than talking about any of the projects I work on now. And now that I'm actually in my home borough, you know, I'm working with Whips Cross Hospital where I was born, where my, you know, my nieces and nephews have had treatment. And it's, you know, being able to sort of see those differences that you're making and, you know, when people moan about not being able to, um, you know, get an appointment with a GP and I'm able to respond and say, you know, these are the things that we are looking at. You know, these are the things that we are able to change and that, you know, there are real 
experts in sort of transformation and change um, and the way that the NHS's priorities are around sort of personalization and co-design and sort of really listening and sort of serving the needs of the local people. Um, yeah, it makes me, makes me proud to to be able to say, you know, that we are we are making real differences. And um, so, yeah, I, th I think I think just to echo the same thing. And yeah, the NHS also gives, you know, a lot back to its employees as well in terms of development and support. Um, and there's always, you know, sort of new new ways of looking at things to make sure that people feel um, supported as much as possible. Yeah, great. Thank, thank you all for highlighting how kind of give how great roles can be within the NHS and how much they can give back to both yourself and the community uh, as well. That's really important there. Um, so moving on to how can we attract quality talent into the NHS and expose pathways into IT and digital roles? I think a lot of people, when they focus on the NHS and look at the NHS, they might think about clinical staff, nurses, doctors, um, but there's a whole world of roles and teams within IT and digital that you might not focus on. Um, so how can we attract quality can candidates and talent into them? Yeah, so for me, I think we could do a lot more to highlight the meaningful way that those in digital data and technology roles within the NHS do to improve health outcomes, enhance patients' experiences, and to drive innovation in healthcare delivery. As I know from speaking to colleagues and from my own experience, that you don't necessarily know about the different teams and career opportunities that are available within the NHS until you you're actually working for the service. So and so that that's really a key one for me. Um, and then the second would would be that I do think more needs to be done to create well-defined career pathways and progression opportunities within digital data and technology roles in the NHS too. As I work alongside and know a lot of very talented individuals who would like to progress their careers within IT and digitally focused roles and, and stay in the NHS, but who don't necessarily understand yet what roles they're aspiring to, to get to and, and, and even in some cases how to get there as well. Um, so what I would say is if anybody listening to the podcast does feel that way, that they don't know where they're heading towards with their career, I would highly recommend attend, uh, them attending digital health summer schools as I was lucky enough last year to be selected for FedIP's future digital leader bursary program and that's actually a program that provides those who get get onto it with a, a year's membership to an accredited body so I chose BCS as the chartered institute for IT and they will also get a pay for place at summer schools and have the opportunity to network with current and aspiring digital health leaders and to explore the evolving challenges that being an effective digital leader within the NHS can bring because when because having that opportunity and attending summer schools really helped me to build a network of like-minded individuals who were equally as passionate as I am about progressing within digital and staying in the NHS and it's also helped to give me a newfound sense of direction in my own career and to build my confidence in a way that I didn't have before. Uh, so I'd say don't 
also as well don't be afraid to reach out to colleagues who inspire you I do it all the time I'm constantly messaging people on LinkedIn and Twitter and asking them can I have an informal chat about their career journeys or to ask for advice and guidance about you know as as I try to progress in my career Um, and that could be asking about what courses they've taken have they got any advice you know about um the how they got into their role what does their role look like what do they do day to day Um, so i think don't be afraid to reach out because i'm sure people would be honored to offer you that support and and to have an informal chat with you thanks faye and over to you lee yeah absolutely i totally agree with what faye was saying there about uh, the need to demonstrate all the good work that we're doing, especially in um, digital and um, tech and IT. Um, I, I, don't, I just don't think in the NHS we do very well at reflecting um, on all the good work we do. We we do one thing, then quickly move on to the next thing without actually blowing our own trumpet to say this is this is all the good work that we've, doing, uh, we've been doing. So I totally agree with that. And I think also as well, it's, I know it might sound quite cliche, but I think promoting the NHS long-term plan is quite important here as well, because within that, which is, you know, a government document, a top-down document, which is outlining the strategy for the NHS, is it really demonstrates that there is a clear drive towards implementing digital innovation and solutions, whether that's integrated, like electronic staff records, digital booking systems, you know, and it also acknowledges the potential of AI as well and data analytics and how we can use AI to enhance clinical decision making and early detection as well. So there is lots of exciting things that are happening uh, in healthcare in general, but obviously for the NHS as well. Um, so I think those those things for sure. Um, and then on a practical level, um, I think that we could do well. I'm, I'm not sure if this happens already, but the very fact that I don't know shows that we maybe need to do more of it, but perhaps maybe collaborating more with education um, institutions and schools, universities, um, colleges, um, just highlighting the different types of roles that we have and the very uh, the, the the various roles that we do have across the NHS and also highlighting the things that Faye mentioned and obviously the, the drive towards digital implementation, uh, di- digital in- initiatives. Um, one thing that we've done in North Central London um, is we've... Um, we did like a job fair, like an opening day where people uh, could come along to see that as well. I think we need to do more of that kind of thing. But again, this goes back to the point that I was making where we're all so busy doing the day-to-day reactive stuff that sometimes we don't take that step back and think a bit more creative and differently about how we can do things. But I think we should, we we definitely need to do more of that. Obviously, uh, and over to you, Jenny. Yeah, just reiterating what both Faye and Leah said, really. Um, I think that we, we don't shout enough about what other career pathways are there. Um, I know that my, you know, back in my day, it's a long time since I went to school, but when we had careers fairs, if the NHS were there, it was about being a doctor, a nurse or a midwife. Um, and, and I know we've come a long way since then because now people know more about physios or other but more practical and more clinician type practitioners. Um, my daughter's 16 and she had careers fairs and stuff in their school and the NHS came and talked about being a practitioner and a clinician. And I just don't think that it's the first thing that people think about uh, you know, wanting a career in the NHS because you can have now being quite new into the NHS. I can see, I sometimes say, I, I can see what I want to be when I grow up um, because I can see career pathways within this. I never even thought were there. So 
if, if people don't know about it, we can't attract them into these these roles. Um, and that might be from, you know, coming in and doing admin type roles or coming in as project managers or coming in as senior managers. If if we don't get out there and shout about the roles that we've got that are interesting and worthwhile and make a difference, um, you know, because we've all said we're, we're in the NHS to make a difference. If people don't know that you can make a difference, but you don't have to be, you know, the frontline hero, um, it, it's it's difficult to attract talent if we don't shout about what we're doing yeah absolutely yeah, the amount of people i've spoken to when i start when they say what do you do and i say oh, i work for for the nhs the immediate thing they'll say is going oh what what you're a doctor in the, and i and i'll t- or even when i say oh i was an operations manager oh so you do operations and it, everybody just assumes that obviously it's a clinical role but actually there's you know so many different roles that we've been talking about and so many different vital roles as well that keep the hospital running and from a, from a business perspective and from a, you know a change perspective and you know everything else that goes with that but um yeah i think it's really important that we highlight those roles and outside the clinical arena as well because it's they're, they're just as important um you know to keep the the the, the trust and um uh, operationally running yeah just picking up on something you said then about keeping hospitals running and stuff we've seen on the news when cyber attacks hit and you know that things come to a bit of a standstill and it's the digital team that step in and support and get that that cyber attack under control and then put in the pl- in the plans for the next time that someone tries to attack us like that um so yeah it's not something that you, you think about but actually the people that brought brought down that cyber attack are our heroes because without them records are accessed you know we have digital things that happen in theaters and you know those sorts of things and it's not just um it's it's not just those front line that that are you know pick things up and, and go and and sort things out great and over to you guys yeah i think you know people very much sometimes are, are very visual and need to see it as you know this is the hospital and this is the the tip of the triangle. And then, you know, these are all of the roles and all of the people behind it. You know, I'm I'm working at the moment to set up a new community diagnostic centre, which I have, you know, eight subgroups of that, which is, you know, the estates people who are going to turn that ward into something different. And there's the, you know, the, the clinicians who are going to do it. But then there's the, the ICT and the digital people of, who you know, who's going to make sure that equipment has the right programmes and the right updates and is going to work to make sure this is all happening. And then obviously, yeah, AI is a very exciting thing that is is going to be coming up and, um, you know, how the use of that can be happened. And, you know, more than ever, we need the next generation of people who are more tech savvy than, you know, our parents and, and people who are retiring from the NHS at the moment to be skilled up and ready for the, the next level of um sort of, you know, technology that is going to be, coming in healthcare so I think people need to get excited actually about working in the NHS and of course we need clinicians we need frontline people but I think people really need to see the you know the wealth of different opportunities and careers um to get involved with the NHS so um yeah I think we need to start painting this triangle picture for everyone so they can see um how to get involved yeah yeah, and hopefully this chat today can excite a few people to go and take a look at an AHS career that they might have not looked at previously. Um, and, and going off the back of that, what transferable skills do we think are useful working in the NHS? Obviously, Grace is a great example of this. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I, I think um, 
you know, I I I wanted to be in events and I wanted to be in events because I I was very good at you know relationships, very good at sort of thinking on my feet, using that passion, that energy. But um, you know, this has all been completely transferable um to the NHS when I was working on the COVID programs. You know, I was I was writing similar sort of risk management site plans, similar sort of things, managing big teams. Um you know, looking at different venues, you know, things, um, you know, working with some complex patients has been the same as working with some, you know, A-star celebrities that I've worked with, you know, lots of things are very transferable. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the NHS just needs that that fresh energy and that fresh drive and that curiosity really to continue learning. So, um, you know, and I've had, I, I was really great to have lots of my friends of mine um, who were out of work during the time come and work on different test sites and vaccine programs and that sort of thing and people um you know utilizing transferable skills when our country needed us the most so um i think a lot of people um probably took away a lot of you know difficult but fond memories of working within the pandemic and um i know a lot of people have still continued to sort of want to volunteer and help out with that but um yeah i think you know every, every there's many many yeah, transferable skills that can be can be used. Yeah, brilliant. So, and over to you, Jenny. I think um, the ability to be able to see things through different people's lenses. Um, so when you're looking at a digital a digital thing, um, or a program, or a system, or a project, being able to look at things and the outcomes from the the, the clinician, mm-hmm. from the, pay, the the infrastructure, from the people who are going to design software to the end user and to our public and, and to our people who are going to, you know, benefit from it and being able to say, okay, so, you know, for me in particular, what are the barriers to being able to get to use this? And that's not just, you know, stat- that's not just people that, you, that the patients, but it's also staff as well. So, you know, are there any barriers to our staff using this brand new piece of software? Because, you know, anecdotally, I've heard about a very good nurse who's decided to take early retirement because they don't like doing the digital stuff. But if we can, you know, get in there and see it through their lens and make it, you know, more workable for for staff as well as as the patients and always having that drive to to do the best that you can for the person that you're supporting at the time. And, you know, we might be doing massive projects that are going to support the, you know, the whole of the Cheshire Merseyside population. But actually, what does that mean for for, for Jem? And what does that mean for Mary? And what does, and, and thinking about different people and what they get out of it so being able to you know that see that diverse viewpoint um and listening not just with your ears so listening to the things that are going on around you being able to see what's happening and you know see the bigger picture of people engaging or not engaging um yeah i think that's one of the skills that i think i i brought to the role thanks jenny and over to you lee yeah um i totally agree with what what's what's been said as well but um and i think there's there's lots of transferable skills uh, that you can bring into the NHS. And I I think the NHS, um, you know, it's like any other organisation, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, if you think of just, a, 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 you know, your standard company that's providing products, you know, their customers pay for products and expect that product to work and expect a, a, a good standard of customer service. And if you transfer that into... NHS language, it's patients who are the customers, they pay their national insurance, so they're paying for a product, they expect the product, their surgery or their uh, appointment or medication, whatever it might be, to be a good product, and they expect good uh, good 
customer service, good patient-focused service as well. So if you look at it like that, it's just like any other organization. So therefore, there's lots of transferable skills from communications, problem solving, adaptability and flexibility, you know, time management and organization, all the standard ones. But I think the one thing that, that that's been touched on already is about being patient centered and having good skills like active listening, you know, being uh, responsive and having empathy and treating patients with dignity and respect. And I think that is maybe where, um, that kind of where the NHS stands a little bit aside to, to, to some other organizations, but, um, and where it becomes really imperative that you need to have those skills, but you know, the, you, you can, you can, you can learn those skills and, um, but yeah, I think, I think there's lots of transferable skills. Thanks Lee and Faye. Yeah, I think building on what Lee said, in today's world, jobs aren't as predictable and linear as what they used to be in the past. And our career paths look a lot more squiggly than ever before. So I think it's really important to take the time to firstly understand what your strengths are and what the values are that motivate and drive you personally. Um, because there are an abundance of roles within the NHS and you'll have a, a variety of skills and experience that you can utilise differently depending on the roles that you're looking to apply for. Um, but but that said, there are some standout transferable skills that I would say are key to have, like communications, strong communication skills, but most importantly, probably the ability to actively listen to staff and patients so you can really take on board their needs. Um, having good organisational and time management skills is also essential and it was really important for all of us during the pandemic when we needed to very quickly adapt to evolving needs and priorities. And the last transferable skill that I'd say that is really important is having a commitment to continuous learning and development and it, taking a, a very proactive approach to stay up to date with advancements also because that's equally important when you know new technology is coming on board like ai you know like chatbots um rpa um, i think it's good to have an understanding of the power of digital technology and how you can use it to support you within your role as well yeah i just wanted to come back in there on, on what they was mentioning so obviously you know you've said there fair about the need for um, staff to adapt and, and and work in different ways and work together during the pandemic, and I and I guess as we've kind of come out of the pandemic and the ICSs have been formed as well, and this kind of work towards collaboration, it's even more important that the transferable skills of being able to work in a team and to have that collaborative mindset is really important at the moment as well. Um, and I think there is a a big change that's happening in the NHS at the moment in terms of the way that you know the way that trust are now working um uh, you know together with each other more closely and that is a change in culture it's a change in mindset as well and that as we probably all know you know changing culture it's not going to happen overnight it's it, it's a, it's a it's a long process but we've got to stick with it and i found in my role and uh, many other roles as well is that you've got to really have resilience to that as well um because if you think things are going to happen overnight they're not and if you're going to get frustrated by that then you know, you need to learn to have that resilience and the patience on that uh, with that as well. So, yeah, I would say that's the other side of things, teamwork and collaboration. Thanks, Lee. 
And finally, we're going to finish the day on what is the biggest barrier or challenge that you think the NHS faces when it comes to recruitment? Anyone like to kick us off? Yeah, go ahead, Faye. So I personally think that the increasing gap between the demands on health and care services and the available resources is the biggest challenge that the NHS faces when it comes to recruitment. And I say that because to effectively address the challenge of workforce supply, the NHS really needs to focus not only on recruitment, but also ensure that new and existing staff are supported and encouraged to remain in the NHS and want want to remain in the NHS as well. So for me, that really involves ensuring that our staff feel appreciated and valued and that they have access to relevant training and continuing professional development opportunities, as well as the necessary funding and time to undertake that training, because training doesn't just help to foster a more confident and competent workforce, but it also helps to equip staff with the knowledge and skills they really need to excel in their roles and within the ever-evolving healthcare landscape that they're a part of, Tim. Yeah, I think that's really important. Thanks, Faye. Uh, and over to you, Jenny. Yeah, I think it's about, you know, raising the profile of the various career pathways that there are in the NHS as well. I think we, we've we said it before, um, we don't really do it very well in, in highlighting what else you can do. Um, so I think one of the barriers is that people don't know and they won't apply for things that they don't know about. Um, so, you know, it might not be, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, something to do with digital or tech. The NHS website is not the first portal call to go and look for a job. It's so it's, it's you know, getting out there and, and getting young people um, passionate about working for the NHS as well. And, and, you know, get those those opportunities where we can say, oh, did you know you can do this? You know, that creativity of a comms role or that that, you know, that structured planning of a program manager um, or an operations manager, that budget control in the finance team. You know, we, we don't know where we'd be without the finance team counting the pennies because we've got to do that. It just doesn't happen by magic. Um, but it's not something that people will go, I know, I'm going to have a look at the NHS website for the jobs and see what's there. They would go to somewhere that, that advertises more about, you know, a communications type role in, a, in, a, in an organisation like that or, you know, a, a digital role in something that does IT. Uh, and I think as well, the digital bit, I think um, telling people that it's not just IT and supplying computers, because I think that's another thing, particularly in the ICS world that we we are now living in. Um, there's so many times when we are asked, who's are you supplying the computers? You know, do you, do you program the computers? No, I haven't got a clue. When it comes, unless it's got an on-off switch and a plug, I have no idea when it comes to digital. But I'm a great project manager within the digital <laughs> digital space, so it's that kind of. If people don't know what's out there, how do we expect to be able to 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 attract them? Yeah, I think it's moving that deterrent, isn't it, of people having a preconception about different types of roles and and digital as a whole as well. And um, so that's really important. Thanks, Jenny, um, and Grace. What do you think is um, the biggest barrier? Well, actually, since I've joined um, North East London uh, ICB, they've been going through a restructure. And one of the big things of the restructure is that instead of people being on sort of fixed term contracts and then that role ending and then them probably needing to recruit for that role again in six months, that they will have a delivery support unit set up, which is full of sort of transformation 
experts and I think I'm one of the guinea pigs for this new thing and that you would be on a permanent contract but you move around and I have able ways to be able to develop and sort of move up and down pay bands but have that sort of security of a permanent contract because in my past two years of the NHS you know I've been on five or six various fixed term contracts and, and you know and now I'm a contractor and you know that level of security I think is what's needed and also to be able to plan for projects and sort of workforce and stuff and know that they have this bank of staff that can be moved around um it's also really exciting that they're starting to look at sort of um banks of staff that can move around different trusts as well that a lot of people aren't aware that if you know you register you you have to register with a, a staff bank on every single trust you know that could be that you've you registered and go through the same checks um and applications with you know two to three different trusts um, if you're in a small area of London. So I think the NHS is starting to sort of hear what people have said. And, you know, in North um, East London, NHS is still one of the biggest sort of employers, but it's about listening to people and how to keep people and keep them developed um, and to make sure that sort of workforce and recruitment delays don't hinder, you know, the, the, the duty of care that we actually have. And that should be our main priority of doing that, um, and not making sure that um, we don't have to spend, you know, lots of money on international recruitment where we can be investing in our own sort of local populations as well. Definitely. Thanks, Grace. Uh, did you want to add to that, Jenny? I was only kind of going to say yes, applause for that one. Faye and I were laughing because we've been in exactly the same positions the last kind of three and a half years of fixed term contracts. And then is it going to be extended? Is it going to be renewed? Or what, what do we do now? You know, do I have to go and start looking for another job? And that kind of, you know, that can be a big barrier to people staying. Um, and that retention that Faye spoke about before that, you know, it's just if this the security of a role. And I actually really love the idea of your role, Grace, where you're permanently employed, but go and, you know, transform. And yeah, that sounds really interesting. So just, you know, that sounds fantastic. Thanks, Jenny. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I, I agree with everything that's been said here. Um, you know, there is an increasing demand for healthcare services um, across across the UK, across the world. You know, population growth and age and population. There's, you know, increased um, need for um, or prevalence of chronic diseases. Uh, so this is putting obviously huge strain on on the NHS. And yeah, I mean, it's well documented that there's limiting uh, limited uh, funding and resource within the NHS as well. But there are still roles available. Um, you know, and I do agree with the um, uh, what was said about the workforce retention as well, and the importance of staff well-being and uh, ensuring that staff feel um, valued and feel that they're adding um, uh, adding value to their to, to their work and goes back to that job satisfaction, but also to try and avoid kind of workers burnout as well. Um, so it's all yeah, it's all it's all kind of connected. Um, I think there's lots being done about uh, staff well-being, especially since the pandemic. I think, you know, working remotely has helped a lot as well. There's a lot more kind of acceptance for perhaps maybe doing walking meetings, for example, or, you know, in my diary, like three times a week, there's mindfulness meetings, which have been put in just to kind of remind you on that. And there's lots of other things that are happening outside of um, outside of work as well. Um, but I think one of the biggest uh, or with that context as well, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in the NHS is that we're competing with other sectors, such as the private healthcare industry, pharmaceutical companies, you know, and now obviously technology companies now as, as we move into digital innovation. So 
we got we've got to improve improve the perception of the NHS. Yes, there's all these things that are going on, but it's not it's a it's a good place to work, and there's lots of positives and benefits. And I think it's just about going back to what we were saying before, taking a step back, reflecting, and really highlighting and showcasing what the benefits are for working for the NHS. Because you know it is perceived that there is better salaries and better work life balance and better career uh, career progression maybe in the private sector, but. You know, as some of the examples that we've heard today, and especially, you know, with, with my example I gave as well, I started off as a band two and made my way all, all the way up until um, the program manager, you know. So it is possible. Um, and uh, there, there is lots of really good opportunities in the NHS. Thanks, Lee. I think that's a really nice way to round up the discussion today. Um, before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you very much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts um, in today's conversation. Once again on our podcast today, there's been Grace Heggs from North East London ICS, Jenny Mason from Cheshire and Merseyside ICS, Lee Gutcher from North Central London ICB, Faye Sefton from Cheshire and Merseyside ICS. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone else would like to feature on a future podcast, please drop me a message. I've been Louis and you can find me on LinkedIn or alternatively visit us on evolutionjobs.com forward slash uk forward slash nhs thanks again to you guys and thanks for listening we hope you can join us next time